Well, that was special. And I'm sure they practiced and practiced and practiced for that. A lot of work goes into worshiping God. Thank you so much for that. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of music. We thank you for the angel, the angel choir who sang about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that people are constantly born into your kingdom. Help us today understand how we can be born into a new community, the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Part two. Last week I spoke about new life in Jesus Christ, the focus being on the Holy Spirit who woos people, draws them, and allures them to Jesus Christ. And it's true, he may use other Christians to help that individual to find their way to Christ. With me, he did not. But the point is, it's God's Spirit who is bringing this, this person to new life. However, when, once you have this life of Christ within you, then you want to share him with other people. And as I said last week, that's what I did. I was sharing Jesus Christ. My, my heart is full of the love of Jesus. I'm sharing him, and nobody seemed interested. My work friends, my, my best friend Steve, my parents, nobody seemed to understand. My relationship with Christ was very much like a baby dependent on the mother. I would ask Jesus for something, and it seemed that he would just give it me immediately to pacify me, stick that pacifier in my mouth, or pat me, or stroke me, or do whatever he had to do, because I was now learning how to live this new life. And he was going to draw me into community, what we call the church, to show me how to grow in Jesus Christ. There are many reasons for the church, but perhaps the most important one is that it's a place of discipleship where we can be equipped for ministry, and of course a place for encouragement and learning about the things of God. And so I prayed to God, and I said, Lord, you must have people who love Jesus like I love Jesus, now, I don't know why I thought that. Maybe I'd read something in the Bible that triggered that thought. And you must have people that believe in all the Bible. I didn't know very much about churches, but I figured that there were some that were just New Testament Christians. And I know that all the Bible led me to Jesus Christ. So that's what I prayed for those two things. People that love Jesus and believe all of the Bible. While I am praying this prayer, there is a Jamaican lady called Mrs. Brown who is at home. And normally she would be working in the morning. Her work was to go and visit different homes and try and sell Christian literature. And she did this as a part-time work. She was a mother with um, quite a few children. I can't remember exactly how many, a large family. And she was married to a Baptist husband. And he wasn't too thrilled that she was actually doing this work for the Seventh-day Adventist. So there was, some, there was some problems there. There was some tension there. And this particular day, she busied herself around the home, and she just couldn't get out the door. Ever have that problem? You're supposed to be going to work, and you just can't get out the front door. And then in early afternoon, when normally when she would be coming home from work, a voice speaks to her, and this tremendously strong impression, now is the time to go. But Lord, I can't go now. My husband will be home soon. The children will be home. I've got to cook the meal. But the voice said, now is the time to go. This very, very strong 
impression that that's what she had to do. And so she went, working my neighborhood. Meanwhile, I'm cycling home from work. The sun is actually shining. doesn't happen very often in England. But something that I guess God's sunshine is going to come down upon me that day. So the sun is shining. I finish work. I'm standing at the front door reading the evening paper, trying to catch a few rays of the sun. And I see this lady going from door to door. There are a number of times in my life that I have been very, very aware that Satan is going for the jugular. And this was one of those occasions. And I had this real conflict within. On one hand, the the Satan was saying, don't talk with this lady. She's probably a gypsy trying to sell you some stuff. And the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you're a Christian now. Supposed to behave differently than that. Had this real tension going on within. And as she came to my, to, I was living with my parents, as she came to the front gate, she says, Good afternoon, sir. Can I introduce you to a Good Health magazine? In England, you don't talk about religion quickly, because you'll probably get a, a swear word or a door slammed in your face or something like that. So that's why she would be using the health or maybe something like children's books to try and uh, have an entering wedge there. And I just laughed. Here I was, 20 years of age, full of life, didn't have any sicknesses, and I just, I, I don't know quite what I said. I don't need any health magazine or something like that. And She wasn't really getting a warm welcome, let's put it that way. I'm sure the expression on my face and the tone of my voice, she just wanted to quickly turn away and, and disappear. But she couldn't turn away. It was like her feet were stuck in the cement. Now, I assure you the cement was hard. But she's like this, and she isn't going anywhere. So uh, she's wanting to go, but the feet are still pointing towards me. And it was really one of those very awkward moments when she didn't know what to say, and I certainly didn't know what to say. And I'm sure you've had experiences like that. And so to break, to break the ice, I said, well, what else do you have in your bag? And she had this big bag with her. So she's holding this skimpy magazine with this big secretive bag. And she said, religious books which is exactly what I needed to hear at that point in time. And I said, oh, really? And then she, she saw that maybe I was warming up a little bit um, to her. And as the conversation progressed, I'm sure she pulled her, her Your Bible and You out. That was actually the very first Seventh-day Adventist book that I read. And I visited somebody this week and they had a Your Bible and You. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But anyway, she's, she's talking to me, and the conversation's progressing, and I couldn't wait for the opportunity to say, well, which church do you belong to? Now, she could have said the Zen Buddhist New Age Church of Mars, and it, it would have been fine with me. I was pretty open-minded. I was clueless about denominations and churches, I didn't know anything really about that. Yes, I knew we had a big Catholic church pretty close to where we lived, but that's, I didn't know anything about Catholics, and I certainly wasn't going to enter any church to find out. So she said, the Seventh-day Adventist church, and I said, what? She said, the Seventh-day Adventist church. I said, never heard of it. So then she just explained a little bit of what that church believes. Not a lot. You don't give people a three-course meal when all they need is a spiritual sandwich. So as this lady is talking to me, ideas and thoughts and words that I had prayed in secret to God were coming forth from her mouth. And if ever there was a direct answer to prayer, this was one of those times. And as this woman's talking to me, I am just going through 
all the whole gamut of emotions. And here I am, stood at the front door, all the neighbors walking by, and this Jamaican lady is talking to me with a big bag. And man, are these Jehovah's Witnesses, are these Mormons hitting the neighborhood again? Sure, all those thoughts are going through their mind. And I'm having this really mystical experience because God, the God of the universe, has answered my prayer in such a powerful and direct way. And I just started crying right there at the front door. Well, obviously, when she could see the tears and hear the emotion in my voice, she knew something really unusual was happening. And I think she handled the situation very, very well. And as a good Seventh-day Adventist would do, she tried to get me to have Bible studies. Now understand, folks, the way that people's minds work. Here's a young man that's thoroughly converted, but really knows almost nothing about Christianity, desperately needs fellowship, but will not enter into a church to find it, has been convicted of enough truth to to, uh, have Jesus Christ living in his life, but has a whole lot more truth to learn. So needing the fellowship, wanting the Bible studies, but in in fact saying, no, that's not going to work. And what was behind my mind, though I never told her that, is, hey, this is my parents' home. We're not going to have some strange Jamaican lady coming into my parents' home having Bible studies with me. Meanwhile, while I'm talking to this lady at the front door, my mother comes home, looks at me, doesn't really roll her eyes, but gives you one of those kind of mother's looks. What on earth's going on here? And then eventually my dad comes home, and they still don't know what's going on. So they probably got in the house together and said, what's Terry doing? What's the next crazy thing that he's doing? I don't know what they said. But, but I'm going through this tremendously wonderful experience that God is answering my prayer, and yet I'm saying no to the Bible studies. So you need to have some options. We live in an option society. Have some options. And so she said to me, um, well, what if we, you did some Bible study guides? We have some Voice of Prophecy Bible study guides. Uh, they're free. I remembered that, that, that my favorite four-letter word, free. My favorite F word. shouldn't say that. And, and I says, great, that'll do just fine. And I thought, no pressure. Here I can work at my own pace. And, and I really didn't like the idea. That's one of the reasons why I wouldn't enter into a church, because I knew that people would try and persuade me of their particular view of the Bible. Well, of course, the study guides do the same thing too. They're persuading you too. And I says, but if I find one thing that's not biblical, now that goes back to the spiritism thing I told you last week, where there were lots of amazing answers, but a few things were wrong. And it was the few lies that really, really bothered me and moved me away from spiritism. Now, if I find a few lies within these Bible study guides, there's no way I'm just going to drop it like a hot brick. I understood my Bible at least that much to know that that was what I was supposed to say. And of course, the Bible also teaches, test the spirits. Satan can work miracles. Maybe he's the one that's brought this woman to my door. And I didn't really think that, but that's what the Bible teaches. You don't accept something because a church or a pastor or a church member says it is so. You have to check it out from the Bible. And that's what I did. I couldn't wait to get home from work. I would cycle as fast as I could uh, and get home and study those study guides. I did every course they had to offer, did courses on the life of Christ, did, two, I think, two courses on the great prophecies of the Bible. I even did a health course. Can you believe that, a 20-year-old doing a health course? And of course, as I was studying these study guides, at least on health, you would learn a little bit about alcohol and smoking and things that were not so great for us. And and by this time, as I shared last week, I'd pretty much lost my interest in the alcohol anyway. And God in his goodness, when he brings this new life to us, 
he really does take out some big things in our lives. Now, we would wish he would take them all out, one go, just work us over one time, and we could be perfect. Wouldn't you like that? He doesn't work that way. Maybe he wants us to learn how to depend on him and trust in him as we're learning to live this Christian life. I've never fully understood why he took certain things away and, and, makes, and allowed me to work through over many years other problems in my life. But that's the way that God in his wisdom works. Occasionally, as I'm doing these study guides, Mrs. Brown is visiting. It could be pouring down with rain, and I still wouldn't bring this woman into my home. And I just thank God that she was, she was willing to, to be used by God that way. And here am I just so amazed that God could answer my prayer in such a powerful way. Listen to what one writer has said in Desire of Ages. Jesus knows us individually. Before we're in Christ, And certainly when we're in Christ, he knows us individually. And he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. What were my infirmities? Well, I had no fellowship. I was a lone Christian, an island to myself. He knows us all by name. He knows the very house in which we live, the name of each occupant. He has at times given directions to his servants to go to a certain street in a certain city, to such a house, to find one of his sheep. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Some of you may find it strange when I emphasize last week, and even this week, and even in the children's story, the voice of God. But think about it. If there is really a God, And if he's interested in us, should he not try and communicate to us in some way? Many Muslims that are becoming Christians are, are, God is reaching them through dreams and visions. That may not be within our culture the way he would necessarily reach us. But he knows how to reach us for sure. Earnest, self-sacrificing men and women are needed. Any in in the Anderson Church this morning who will go to God with strong crying and tears and plead for the souls that are on the brink of ruin. And there are probably hundreds and thousands waiting to be gathered in in the Reading-Anderson neighborhoods. But do we have When was the last time that you pleaded with tears for souls that are on the brink of ruin? Well, Mrs. Brown was such an individual. I sometimes find it interesting that God didn't send the pastor to my door. And he didn't send a 20-year-old white Caucasian to my door who really liked Manchester United Soccer Club. He sent somebody to my door that I had virtually nothing in common with, except, of course, the most important thing, Jesus Christ. Well, Mrs. Brown finds herself working the neighborhood where I lived, and she had found an alcoholic man who seemed to be interested, and she faithfully went back to follow up with this man, and he wouldn't open the door. She knew he was home, but he wouldn't open the door. And in England, we have these letter boxes, like a, some, a metal thing on the front of your door, and the mailman comes, a postman comes, and pushes the letters, the mail, through the letter box, and that's how we get our mail. I told you we were eccentric in England kind of do things in weird ways over there. And this man would not respond, and so, she, so Mrs. Brown, in her simplicity, she gets down on her knees to the letterbox. Imagine yourself doing that in the street, getting down on your knees and shouting through that letterbox, Jesus Christ is your only hope. But unfortunately, this man shut the door. He wasn't interested, he wouldn't respond. 
So here's Mrs. Brown. And any of you that are doing literature work, you'll understand some of the, the emotions that you go through when you're doing any kind of ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people respond, maybe a few, many don't. You get a lot of rude words, and, and if your skin's not the right color, they'll say things, make racist statements, they'll spit on you, they'll do all sorts of crazy things to you. So she's pouring her heart out, and she says, Lord, here I am, day after day after day, trying to witness for you. Her husband was mad at her doing this work. Sometimes he would physically abuse her. She had many things against doing this work, and yet she felt called to do it. And so as she's pouring her heart out and the tears are flowing and she's feeling really sorry for herself because that's the devil's strongest weapon is to discourage us and get us to take our eyes off Jesus Christ. As she's pouring her heart out, Postman Pat comes with my letter. And in my letter, I had written to Mrs. Brown and I said, Mrs. Brown, I've been studying these voice of prophecy study guides, and I really believe that this is the truth. And I'd like to visit this church. So she looks at the mail, probably the tears still flowing down her face. Most of the letters are from Jamaica. And then there's one, oh, Mr. Mason. So as she opens this letter and reads, yes, there's still more tears, but now they're tears of joy, not tears of sorrow. Because I'm responding to the truth that she is trying to share on a daily basis. And so she quickly writes a letter back to me. She phones all the church members, telling them, or at least her inner circle, look out for this young white, I don't know if she knew I was 20, this young guy, he's going to be coming to church Sabbath morning. And I'm going to share with you her letter. This was written in the uh, 22nd of August, 1972. Dear Brother Mason, my heart rejoices at receiving your letter. I went on my knees, and I thank my God for your decision that I couldn't stop the flood of tears from flowing. Tears of joy they were on your behalf that one more soul is being snatched from the burning, and Satan's kingdom is now becoming one less, and the kingdom of the eternal Christ, God, is becoming one stronger. Praise be to God. I know that heaven's bells are ringing for you and the angels of God are singing a new song. For it is written that there shall be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that shall repent. She gets quite lyrical here. I think I hear them singing. For another son is being born into the family of heaven. For you the blood of Christ is not being shed in vain. Again I am saying praise be to God. This has more than filled my day. But now I must give you some counsel. You have come to a crucial point of your spiritual life, for Satan shall not let you go without a struggle. But you must be determined to keep on the road to eternity, whatever may be the cost. Let nothing deter you, for God is on your side. Get down on your knees, for only there shall the victory be. And this woman really knew how to pray, believe me. We became friends later. She was very much a woman of prayer. May God bless you real good. Sincerely yours in Christ, Veronica Brown. Turn over for the church address. So as I turn the page, she gives me the numbers of the buses that I need to get, what part of Manchester I need to go to, which I'd never been there before, was all new to me. You'll see the Seventh-day Adventist Church on Wilbraham, not far from the corner. You'll meet many going there. Services begin at 10 a.m. So that's the goal, to be there in the morning. There will be a baptism this week in the afternoon at 3.30. In my mind, I probably never understood baptism. It was just an afternoon service. So one at at 10 in the morning, one at 3.30. Okay, fine. We'll try and get to one of those. And so on. And then some, some scripture text to follow. So I've made a promise to visit this church because now I'm convicted of the truth and I'm going to visit this church. And I'm sure I'd done the study guides on the Sabbath and I probably got most of the answers correct, but I never understood the Sabbath. 
Maybe intellectually I understood it. Maybe I knew there was a difference between Saturday and Sunday. But emotionally, with my heart, I certainly didn't understand it. Because Saturday morning came, and where do you find Terry Mason? He's having a driving lesson, learning how to drive a car. And that's not the way we keep the Sabbath, is it? You're not sure about that. No, it's not. It's not the way we keep the Sabbath. We don't pay and have our driving lessons Sabbath morning when we're supposed to be maybe worshiping God or keeping his Sabbath. But that never entered my mind, so I went and had my lesson, and then I jumped on the bus and went to downtown Manchester to pick up this particular buses that went to Wilbraham Road. And believe me, the struggle was on. I was wiggling like a little worm, and I'm saying, Lord, you know, if that bus isn't here in three minutes, I'm, I'm out of here. And we had all these double-decker red buses. You, you, you can imagine what it's like. And I'm in the main station now in Manchester, and the buses are coming around the corner constantly, but my, my watch is winding down, and I'm making, I'm kind of bargaining with God. Have you ever done that? Bargained with God? How, how foolish we can be. But I was a young Christian, so don't hold it against me. So, Right at the last second, my bus turns the corner. All right, all right, God. So you get on the bus, and we had a driver, and we had a bus conductor. And the bus conductor, he takes your money, gives you your ticket. So I says, tell me when we get to Wilbraham Road, because I need to get off there. Okay, fine, no problem. Usually they tell you. This day, the bus conductor did not tell me. So we went sailing past Wilbraham Road, and I'm thinking, man, we're on this bus a long time. And I had gone miles and miles and miles past where I needed to. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, he said, just no problem. Keep your ticket. Jump on another bus and go back. And I thought, nah, I'm going to walk back. Can you, can you feel the, the tension I'm going through, the struggle I'm going through? Needing the fellowship, studied all this material, knowing something is true, and yet still finding it so hard to take that last step to actually get to the church. And in my head, I'm thinking, no problem, there's an afternoon service. So I walk all the way back, and I get there in time for the service. I was a little bit early, and I stood on the other side of the road. And so behind me, I have this Anglican church with its huge steeple, kind of somewhat impressive building. And then over the road is this rinky-dinky, what what I would call a bungalow, flat-looking building that looked like you could huff and you could puff and you could literally blow the place down. And then I'm seeing all these Jamaican people going in. And then the devil went for the jugular. And the devil says, Terry, this is nothing for you. Let them have their little Calypso club or whatever the, they're doing. It's got nothing that, that's going to interest you. And the Holy Spirit says, Well, Terry, you've promised. You've promised just step over the road. Just step over the road. So with fear and trepidation, I stepped over that road. And I entered the foyer. And as I entered the foyer of the church, of course, these people had been clued in to look for this young white guy. Not not a lot of young white boys visiting Seventh-day Adventist churches in England in those days, and there's certainly probably less today. And so he was there, Brother Edwards, big tall guy, never forget Brother Edwards, and I shook his hand, and he was very friendly, and I saw everybody going through the double doors. And they were going into the sanctuary. But I didn't know what a sanctuary was. I didn't know. It's like some secret club to me. And I said, what's going on in there? I was really a very skeptical, still a very skeptical kind of person. And he says, why not go in and see? They're having a a baptism today. Why not go in and see? And as I walked into that church sanctuary, and it was maybe about this size, walked in there, place was reasonably full. It felt really strange, and yet it felt the right thing to do. Can you understand that? 
And as my bottom hit that pew, God spoke to me again. It wasn't an audible voice so much this time. It was just a still, small voice that said, this is your spiritual home. Now imagine that. Having really nothing in common with these people, and yet God says, this is where you belong. And I'm sure there's some of you this morning that are here that think, man, I don't even know where I fit into this Seventh-day Adventist church. I don't know if I can even trust Nell and White anymore. Don't know if I, maybe you've been um, roughed up by a pastor or by a parishioner, and you're not quite sure. But as defective as the church is, it is still the apple of God's eye. There's a mystery there. There's a mystery And we need to enter in. When he opens the door, as he certainly was doing for me on this occasion, we need to step through that door. Not all our fears are going to be taken away. Somebody has to put their foot in the water for the Jordan to divide. There has to be some trust and some kind of faith in God. And as we step forward, then the waters part. When I saw a baptism that day, It was a totally new experience for me. I never dreamed in my wildest dreams that adults would get dunked in a church building. It would never even enter my mind. In England, in the Church of England, they probably sprinkle you when you're a little baby, and that's it. You've had your baptism, you've had your confirmation, or whatever they call it, and you know nothing about it for the rest of your life. And if somebody asks you if you go to church, or they don't, they don't ask that question in England, but do you, are you a Christian? Do you belong to a church? You'd say, yes, I'm C of E, which means you're Church of England. But you never go to C of E, to Church of England, unless it's your wedding or maybe your death, your funeral or someone else's funeral. You don't just worship in places like that. I mean, English people just don't do strange things like that. But here I was seeing this baptism, old, young, black, white, rich, poor, all kinds of people being baptized. And if it was permissible for a visitor to dive in the baptistry on that day, I would have done it because I was so ready to be baptized. But no, I had to sit in the pastor's class, or at least the associate pastor's class, and pretty much learned those things that I'd already studied over the months. But then the day came for my baptism. And when I thought about it, and quite a few people were baptized before me, I thought, Terry, don't get emotional. You know, you're an Englishman, stiff up a lip and all that sort of stuff. Bull, bulldog breed. You know about the English, don't you? And as I stepped into that water, I still felt pretty strong within myself. I was kind of holding it together until the pastor should start sharing just a little bit of this story that you're hearing this morning and you heard last week. And then I just, the waterworks started. I just cried like a little baby. That day, when I told my family I was being baptized, they didn't understand that. But my father decided to come to see, and my uncle they always kind of hung out together, these two. They were boozing buddies. They both could sing real well. And in those days, you sang in the pubs. That was, it wasn't the days of jukeboxes and stereo systems. You just, you just sang, and that was your entertainment. And, and it was kind of like church, really, but in the pub. <laughs> so my dad was there, and my uncle was there. And, and I'm there now in the water. And they're probably looking, and what on earth's going on here? What's Terry doing? And then the pastor's telling a little bit of the story, and I'm getting kind of emotional, but trying to hold it together, but the tears are flowing. And when I, when I went under that water, I was a babe in Christ. Now, this isn't my conversion. You, if you heard my story last week, you heard my conversion. You know something of that. But this is a special event This is a time, like communion, where Christ wants to come so close that we can feel him right there beside us. 
And when I came out of that water, God just zapped me um, with the Holy Spirit, and I just said, praise the Lord! Now, this building was packed. And these Jamaicans, they know how to say amen and praise the Lord. So my uncle and my dad were surrounded by all these people who just, to a man, just said, praise the Lord. And it's like the the building just shook. And then I can imagine, oh man, what's Terry doing now? Going through my dad's mind. I was so filled with the Holy Spirit. I was so... Now, and what is happening? Let me just spend a moment on this. One of the things we need to emphasize at baptism, if we, th- if we look at Jesus' baptism, we find that in the early chapters of, of Matthew. We see Jesus being baptized. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb to the tomb. No question about that. You could illustrate that so easily. But at his baptism, the Spirit fell upon him yet again. It was a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus is starting his public ministry. Yes, he's giving us an example of what we should do to fulfill all righteousness, but he, he needs this fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit because he's going to be driven into the wilderness and the devil is going to tempt him. Now, I'm starting my public ministry, not as a pastor, that would come later, but as a parishioner as a church member, and Satan's going to throw everything at me to discourage me, to slow me down, and so on, get me off track. So I need this anointing of the Holy Spirit, and all I can say is God gave it to me on that occasion. And he's done it at other times throughout my life, but he definitely did it on that occasion. So here I am, getting the water out of my ears, getting dressed, So happy. Everyone's just a joyful, joyful day in the church. And I get in the car with my dad, with my uncle, and we're going to powwow on the way home. We're going to interpret what went on. And I'm saying, what do you think, Dad? What do you think, Dad? And he said, it was very, very impressive. It really touched him. He's not a Christian. My uncle's not a Christian. My uncle responded differently. My uncle said it, it, it was just a lot of emotionalism. And right there, you can see the gospel dividing. Christ has been working, but people see it in different ways. And I don't understand, somebody kind of asked me this question in our Bible class this morning, I don't really understand why out of all of my friends and all of my family, I should be the one to get saved and become a Seventh-day Adventist. And to this day, now I'm not 20 years of age anymore. You know that, don't you? I'm a little bit old. Not a lot older, just a little bit older. But I still don't understand it today. And I've I've pushed that information and those experiences through my mind so often, and all I can say, it's pure grace. It's purely God at work. I'm sure God is calling, calling, calling to many, many people, but a few are responding, a relatively few are responding. So, so that's what the theologians call the effectual call, where somebody really does respond Uh, to the leading of God in his calling, and then God justifies them, which he does that straight away as soon as we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the rest of our life is learning how to live this Christian life. Since my baptism, I've never stopped going back to the Bible. I want to emphasize this at this point. The Bible is a really, really powerful tool in the hand of God, if you cooperate with it. The Bible has an ability, it doesn't matter what translation, don't get hung up on translations. I know that some of you would love for, for, for me to tell you King James and King James only. Well, I was saved from the King James, <laughs> but I was saved from the Holy Spirit, wasn't I? And I believe he could have used a Catholic Bible. He could have used a Jehovah's Witness Bible. He could have used any Bible to lead me to himself. But the point is this, that it is the inspired Word of God. Jesus does walk across its pages. You can find new life. 
a new community in those pages. If you follow Christ, he will lead you to a group of people who love Jesus Christ and believe in all his Bible. While I was still visiting, one of the elderly members who I became very friendly with, a brother Glaster, he gave me paperback Desire of Ages and the Great Controversy. I devoured those books. I read them so fast that I was so into it. They were tremendously helpful to, to help me to grow in Christ. Not too long after that, I was off to Newball College. How did that happen? I went to a midweek prayer meeting. So here's a plug for Tuesday and Wednesday meetings at Anderson Church. This is a regular prayer meeting. Can't remember at all what the pastor spoke about, but I know it touched me. And I, I went to his wife afterwards. I couldn't get to him because people were talking to him. And I said, you know, I'd like to just, I'd like to work for Jesus 24 hours a day. And she said, oh, have you ever thought about going to Newbold College? And I said, Newbold College? What's Newbold College? She said, oh, that's a Seventh-day Adventist, uh, and that's where we learn about Jesus and all the rest of it. So they had an open day at Newbold College. I visited the college, and I, and I took a GED exam. You want to know about miracles? This is perhaps the greatest miracle that Terry Mason could pass a GED exam. Because I didn't understand all this American stuff. And it's an American exam. They're asking me about American presidents. I mean, what does a 20-year-old Englishman know about American presidents? But one of the good things that you do here in America is it's multiple choice. <laughs> and if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can make inspired guesses. <laughs> and somehow, someway, I got through those exams, praise God. So now I enter Newball College, a very academic, highly academic. I found it more academic than being at Andrews University, actually. Very academic place. So first year, I had to slog through it, had to learn how to study. But you know, James says, if anyone you lacks wisdom, you ask of God, and he gives it to you liberally. And so somehow, someway, I would be able to get my work done and learn. And by the time I was getting to my third and fourth year of doing a bachelor's in theology, I was really learning how to study and how to get good grades and that sort of thing. By the time I got to Andrews University, then I was really acing it and I, I really knew uh, how, how to study these things and what the teacher was looking for and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> One thing I know you'll never forgive me if I don't mention to you, how did I meet my wife? Well, my first year of being at uh, Newball College, first summer that came along, I went to Scotland, the Shetland Islands, which is above the tip of Scotland, and I went to, to Ireland, Southern Ireland and Northern Ireland, to sell literature, Christian literature. And so... After a number of summers, I went to Sweden, and then I went to the promised land, Norway. I went to Norway. So as I go there to Norway with two, two Jamaican friends, we were going to canvas. We'd been accepted in that program to do that, and we'd heard that you could make a lot of money. And this is all to pay my way through a Seventh-day Adventist college now. Um, so we're there. We arrive Friday evening, fairly fr late Friday afternoon. And we look at, we don't know anybody, we look at the church sign outside and it had the pastor's name and it had his phone number. So we find a telephone, we try and figure out how the Norwegians use the telephone. It's a little bit different than I was used to. But we call this pastor and luckily he was there by the telephone. And he said, sure, he says, you can stay at my place tonight, I'll come and pick you up and uh, you can be with us in church tomorrow. We're going to have a big potluck and, and we'll take care of you. Until Monday morning, you can go to the publishing house to start work. So as this man came round the corner, as soon as I looked at him, I knew, excuse me, I knew that I knew this man. You talk about miracle after miracle. That's how it is when you follow God. I mean, there's no limit to what God can do. So 
I know I know this man's face, but I'm terrible on names. Didn't know his name or anything like that. Of course, I'd read it out there. But Vili someone, Vili Rasmussen. And, and we go back to his place, and I'm saying, I've met you before. You know where I'd met him? I'd met him in an orphanage in Jordan. I think it was either in Jordan. I think it was in Jordan, not in Egypt. I'd met him in an orphanage. And I was visiting this orphanage, and he was coming through with a group of Scandinavian pastors um, visiting the orphanage. And that's how we'd met, like just for five or ten minutes just to say hello. And I never forgot that face. Well, as, as we were sharing that evening, he says, well, how did you guys come to Christ? How did you come to the Seventh-day Adventist? So then he heard some of my story, and he says, I want you to take the sermon tomorrow and just share your story. So here I am in the Oslo, the main church in Oslo, in the pulpit, sharing my story. And as I'm looking out over the, con- the congregation, Ellen White tells preachers, uh, get away from your notes and just look at your audience. I see, my eyes light upon a blonde in the pew. And... I think the sun was shining in that day. <laughs> and there was like a, a ray of light from heaven on Sissel's head. And I noticed. And they call it mixing business with pleasure. <laughs> so I'm doing my business, I'm sharing my story, but I'm also getting some pleasure in doing it. And very soon after that, of course, when we had the meal, Cecil was very involved in that, and I'm trying to get close to her and chat her up and all of that. You have to understand that English was not her favorite language. So they have to learn quite a lot of languages in school, German, French, English, and some other languages too, and she didn't feel that comfortable. And, uh, but I was doing my best. My Norwegian wasn't very good. I mean, when I say not very good, it was non-existent. So I had to converse in English, and I did, and she must have liked what she heard. I mean, again, it's one of those mysteries in life that you really can't understand, but somehow, someway, this Englishman and this Norwegian got together, and the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It's the only commandment that I've ever really kept. So we have, <laughs> we have four children, and... Uh, we worked for a while in England. How did I come to the States? I went to Andrews University to finish a degree that I'd started at Newbold, and I was working in Birmingham, England. I had a very limited period of time to complete that degree, and I just felt so drawn to the States, and I just basically told my, my employer, hey, I need to take a leave of absence, go to Andrews University. So I went back to Norway. We went back to Norway from England. We worked for a while, tried to get as much money as we could, and then just went in faith to Andrews University in Michigan. And the Lord, again, just blessed. We had just four quarters there to finish this, this master's degree. And uh, we had no money when we left. We were broke. But neither did we have any bills either, which was, which was something. And the reason I, got working in, I, I was working in the United States is I had a job offer to start a church in West Seattle. So that's how we started working, pastoring here in America. Uh, just bought the biggest house we could find. It kind of looked a little church- churchy, the way it was designed, and just basically prayed and contacted people and started a, a little church there in, in West Seattle, which eventually did become a full-fledged church. God is good. He will lead you to himself, lead you to Jesus Christ. That's number one. That's eternal life for you. So important. And that's why I keep these stories separate. But then when you're in Christ, he will lead you to family. I, have more, I had more in common with those Seventh-day Adventists after a few months than I had with my own family in England that I'd lived with for many, many years. He will lead you into new community. We need the church. There's a reason why Christ instituted the church. And, and you've heard a little bit of why he did it for me. We need one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to build one another up in the faith. And when I would see Mrs. Brown giving these Bible studies, what was going on in my head is, wow, 
this is really easy to do. And then it wasn't long before I was giving my own Bible studies. So she's mentoring me. And that's what some of you who are mature Christians here, I don't mean older Christians. I don't mean elderly Christians. I mean mature, spiritually mature Christians. That's what you need to do with the ones who are newer to the faith. You need to take them under your wing like she did with me, and you need to show them how to grow in Christ. The devil will continue to attack the Seventh-day Adventist church. There are things happening in the church that should not be happening. The church is not perfect. It has its flaws, and he's placed you in the church to correct some of these things. He's placed me there. He's placed us there to lay an emphasis on Jesus Christ, to make Jesus Christ central to everything, to, to communicate to people that when they find Jesus, they tap in to the power line from heaven. The energy from God will just flow through them to humanity which is in darkness, which is facing eternal death. And he's placed every one of you, if you are in Christ, to make disciples, find people. Let God use you to find people and bring them to Christ and ultimately to his church, his body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for a reminder of how you lead people and how you lead people to the church. And Lord, all of our experiences have similarities and and some dissimilarities with my experience. But it's important, Lord, that we do indeed have our own story, that we do indeed have our own experience, and that Jesus Christ is the one that's altogether wonderful. And we want to do everything we can, Lord, to take care of his body, his church on this earth. So where there is need for correction, Lord, may we do it in love. Where there's a need for encouragement, may we build people up so that they can take the next step in their journey with you. We thank you and praise you for the life of Jesus and for the work of the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that soon Jesus will come back in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Come to gather his children together from all walks of life, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, the young, the old, All those who know you and know Jesus Christ, gather them together to spend eternity together. Lord, help us to know how to fight the fight of faith. Because Satan wants to distract us and get us on the wrong track. But may we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Draw our strength and our very life from him on a daily basis is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.